0: presented by the Hockey Podcast Network, every team, everywhere.
1: Hello, 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 Oilers fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network, every team, everywhere. As always, I am your host, John. Joining me from the Canadian epicenter of the pandemic currently, unfortunately, is my co-host, Kyle. Kyle, how are you holding up, man?
0: I'm fine. It's it's no different of a situation for me, I'm sure, than it is for you, really. it uh, It's not like you see it every day, right? I actually, I mean, I know it's kind of terrible to say, I'm, I'm enjoying this time off work. I've been walking around my, uh, my area every day since I moved here just last summer. I didn't really get a, a chance to. I was too busy at work, so now I'm kind of exploring my area and knowing more about it, so... I'm kind of enjoying my time off, man. But uh, it's interesting yeah.
1: because you've you've kind of got to be careful about that because you don't want to be like too positive. Like there's a lot of doom and gloom. That's what I mean. Obviously, it's a horrible it like, situation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah. Depending on your like the lifestyle and where you're at, you know, situationally, it could be you know some more time on your hands for sure, right? And that can be positive And some people are kind of struggling with that, but good to hear that you're uh, that you're doing well over there. um Also, on today's show, we are excited to have Sean Patrick Ryan a.k.a. SPR on Twitter, a.k.a. The Oil Knight, and he obviously runs his blog, theoilknight.ca. I'm sure most of our listeners are are at least somewhat familiar with that. Um, Sean has a pretty big passion for amateur scouting and has recently joined the podcast Games, slash been doing it for a little while on his own own website and platform there as well. But he has joined OHL Unfiltered, which is a part of the OHL network. Sean, thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, boys.
1: Yeah, our pleasure. Absolutely. Are you? Uh, you're obviously staying safe, and you're
2: you're in Southern Ontario. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm right in London here. So, um, yeah, I I, I kind of have to agree with Kyle. I'm kind of enjoying this. Not, not to to be a, <laughs> rub it in or anything. But I, I <laughs> kind of I kind of work from home, even before this, so now I don't have to drive my wife to work. She's working from home, and don't have to take my kid to school anymore. He's at home, so. I'm saving money that way, at least. So I, I can't complain.
1: Saving money and probably getting to spend a little bit time, more time with family than, you know, most people normally do. So that's another, you know, little silver lining in this whole thing for sure. Exactly. Um, we are going to, on this episode, definitely get into kind of your scouting approach. I know you just dropped your top 31 ranking on your website. We are also going to talk about this draft specifically, like I alluded to with that ranking, kind of what, what you look at when you're scouting and, Obviously, you are a Oilers fan as well. So we're going to get into the the NHL situation as well as the Oilers kind of at the tail end of this episode. For anyone that's not familiar or maybe hasn't checked out your blog yet, we did want to kind of just take a couple minutes and and get to know you a little bit better. So first off, we're kind of curious what got you into amateur scouting. What was it? What was so interesting in that department that really got you into blogging and, and researching in that in that area?
2: Well, I've always been kind of fascinated with the, the player personnel part of the game. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in I grew up in Lucan, which is just outside of London. That was home of Hockey Town or Hockeyville. There was it last year or two years ago, I guess now. Okay. And uh, my dad was the general manager for the team for for a couple of years, and really kind of got to see him uh he would take us his kids and take us to neighboring towns and oh yeah I'm kind of keeping an eye on this kid here and checking out somebody hopefully to recruit this kid there and I don't know I guess that's probably where it, it first started and then um you know just as I, I grew older I, I, I didn't play a lot of hockey myself I didn't even learn how to skate till I was like nine years old
1: right <laughs> a little
2: bit of minor hockey but not a whole lot it's more of just a road hockey and uh grab the skates and go out in the bush and play in the frozen pond kind of guy really but you
1: fit right in in that sense with us we're not neither of us are big hockey players either so obviously love the game but different, different passion yeah. from kind of an outsider's perspective for the three of us
2: yeah well i'd like to think if you know i kind of blame my parents if if you would have put me in earlier and taught me how to skate earlier <laughs> you know i might have been might have been okay but yeah that's probably probably just a pipe dream
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to think about, right? I, I know I'm I'm of the exact same thought. I know, like, I was very very involved in sports, right, from a young age. But my dad just he was a hockey player himself, and just didn't like the you know the politics and kind of the different controversies and and things with hockey. So decided to pull me out or, or keep me from it. But it is, yeah. You, you, I mean, we can dream. I've always imagined myself some right-handed defenseman, you know, six foot one, coming in the NHL. <laughs> but you're right; it probably is a pipe dream. <laughs>
2: yeah well I always blame I was a child of divorce so I uh, I always blame my parents for that it's it's their fault but but having kids of my own now it's uh, it's kind of funny I try to give them every opportunity I've got a young five-year-old and I'm like all right got him a hockey stick when he's two years old I'm gonna start him real young. And by the time he got to about four years old, he put the hockey stick down and he picked up a baseball bat and he wants to play baseball. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There's
2: no interest. eh? (laughs) Yeah. It's just not happening, I guess in this family. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So as far as the scouting goes, I, yeah, I, um, so I've always kind of enjoyed it. Always been fascinated by, you know, just kind of picking out the, the, you know, the, the best player, or maybe not necessarily the best player, most hyped player, but just kind of seeing things that other people didn't really see and, I'm fascinated just by if you just go back over the history of drafts, how many guys that bust and how many guys that, you know, were late round picks people just counted out and then they had a great NHL career. Um so I just I I, I, I don't know. I, I would say the last uh, I was really into it for a while in my early twenties and after a while I kind of, you know, hit the business world and had mm-hmm. a real job in that. And then I guess I would say the last five years or so I really started to kind of get back into it and and really kind of focus on it it's just something that I really enjoy it's a passion of mine and that's kind of why I started up the blog
0: I know uh, me and John were really looking forward to dipping our toe into the amateur drafting with uh the draft being in Montreal this year it was supposed to be prior to uh COVID-19 taking over the world here uh, yeah but uh have you ever yourself been to a draft um like an NHL draft
2: that's a great question. I got a couple of buddies we We had already planned it out. a couple of buddies that are in Montreal. I said, all right, this is on my bucket list. I'm definitely going this year. I already booked the time off work. I already told the wife, all right, you know we'll we'll go the week before we'll go do a vacation or something, but I'm going to the draft this year. this I have to do it um so it was in the works we were. We were ready to do it, but unfortunately, I didn't get a chance this year, obviously, with everything going on, but Mm -hmm. to answer your question, the answer is no, but I'm dying to do it. You were in the exact
0: same boat we were then, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I've heard it's
1: an interesting experience, and I'm not, not that Kyle and I are, you know, amateur drafting is something I I think is very difficult to do, so you and the the likes of everybody else that's really into that, I give full credit, because I find it more of a, it's a daunting thing to kind of think about dipping your toe in, but as far Mm -hmm. as the draft, I I really kind of connected with what you said earlier about looking back on drafts and you're, you know, you're looking at all these steals that they had in like later rounds and just how these teams are formed through the draft. I find that really interesting. So maybe for someone like us, we're, it will be a little bit more exciting to go to a draft based off what I've read, but, The funny thing Mm -hmm. is I've heard from most people on just general hockey blogs and whatever else that it's actually quite a boring event, right? Like, especially compared to a hockey game or let alone a playoff game or anything like that, even an awards show. But it would be a really good experience to go. And, I mean, I think it'd be a little bit – I'm hoping that players might be a little bit more approachable as well because there's not, you know, 100,000 fans freaking out trying to meet everybody as much anyways.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you have to consider too, I guess they're all – they're all business that weekend, right? They're all focused. They have agents and thirty-one teams that right. are there that all want a piece of them to talk to them and reporters and everything else. Uh, for me, I was certainly trying to play the media pass angle so I could actually get down on the floor and you know shake some shake some hands with some uh some get hockey some people, quotes right? Or but, something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. As a fan, yeah, I could see how it'd be boring. You just kind of sit there and just wait for the announcement, right? Unless you're live blogging or something.
1: Yeah, that
2: might be fun, but.
1: I don't. I don't yeah. think we're quite big enough. It'd be nice to have like a podcast booth or something there, but I don't. I don't think we're we're quite on that level, unfortunately. Well, you never you know, know. Maybe one day.
0: We'll just bring a poster and tape in front of two seats, you know, and pretend. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. Just a couple of mics that get confiscated like twenty seconds in.
0: <laughs> we'll build them out of cardboard. We'll pretend, dude. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Play house until we can actually get into it. Um, one of the things that I saw on your uh, on your blog. You you had a, I, I'm going to quote you here, but one of the things you had in mind when you sought out to create this was you wanted to create a positive place where fans can go to get useful information about their team and not have to listen to the constant drag some of these arrogant bloggers have become. And I, I really like, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus at all, because I think that really hits home. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of those things where when Kyle and I were talking about you know, potentially starting a podcast. One of the things that really bothered us about the Legosphere or whatever you want to call it
2: mm-hmm.
1: is just the constant negativity. And I know as a fan base, we've been we've been through a ton and as far as the, you know, the last decade of darkness and, and before that, I mean, pretty much since oh six and to 2015, it was an extremely rough run and we've had some rough moments even since then. Um, so I feel like that really hit home for me. And my, my, the thing I'm curious about is, do you think that you've hit that bar that you wanted to, and, and that really maintained positive? Or do you think that Oilers PTSD, as, as we call it, has kind of affected you in a way as well?
2: That's a really good question. Um. So I have a length a lengthy answer. So when I first started, so you you have to consider too. I'm um, so I'm an outsider, right? Like I'm not in the Edmonton market, right. and I would say up until about five years ago, I had no access to the Edmonton market at all. So I was not aware of anything that was really going on, other than just watching Oilers games on TV. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I saw on TSN and Sportsnet. So about five years ago, I was like, okay, I w- I want to um, I w- I want to kind of chat with more Oilers fans. There's, there's not a whole lot around here. So I'm just gonna go online and I'm gonna find a blog. So I type in Edmonton Oilers blog and uh, I come across Low tide site. So I'm like, okay, great. Uh, and uh, I started reading his articles and I fantastic articles, loved everything he was writing every day I was, I was on there. And then I kind of got caught up in the, uh, <laughs> I got caught up in the comments section. and You know, I started yeah. uh, s- started commenting myself. I'm like, okay, I'm starting interacting with Oilers fans. And for whatever reason, I just didn't seem to fit in. A lot of them, I guess, were very analytical, and if you opinions weren't welcome, you pretty much had to have a graph or something to back up your your statement, or it wasn't valid. And I kind of batted heads a lot there with a lot of people. And uh, for anybody that was on there before, my old username was Kilty McBagpipes. You might remember me.
1: And uh, <laughs> we might so, have to do some digging there and see.
2: <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I got banned a couple of times, I think, for comments and, and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this, I, I was just kind of amazed by pretty much everybody that he interacted with in the comments. And again, the low tide blog itself, like everything he wrote, it was, was fantastic. But the comment section, that's was the problem. And um, I was like, you know what, this, well, this fans can't be all negative like this. Like, it, it can't be that bad. And uh, I got banned again or something or suspended for <laughs> whatever fight, pick and fights. So then, uh, so I was like, okay, well, i maybe I'll join Twitter because Bob McKenzie and all these guys are on Twitter. I'd love to get updates uh, from them all the time. So I'll, I'll jump on there and maybe I'll follow a couple Oilers guys, or whatever. And that's kind of where the Twitter started. And I mm-hmm. got away from that blog. And then I noticed I was starting to bat heads again with a bunch of people on there both the Oilers, and uh, and then started following you know Copper and Blue and some of the other some of the other blogs. And I just I was amazed by so much negativity in that market again i was never exposed to this before so i realize it's been a long decade of darkness and i just kind of caught on the last uh few years but right i'm sorry kind of
1: looked- to take a sidebar here you're talking about five years ago so you're like 14 15 somewhere in there 2014 2015
2: yeah 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 before before taylor hall got traded
1: okay but after For mcdavid sure. had gotten drafted
2: yeah i think so. or around
1: because the of- time kind of like
2: over after that- mcdavid right yeah. okay after mcdavid yeah yeah. Yeah. Cause when I was on that blog, I remember, um, yeah, it was Poliarvey's draft because I was, I'm a London guy. I was really pushing for <laughs> Matthew Kachuk and, uh, I, you know, he was my guy no matter what. And people are saying, oh, he's too slow and all these other things. And I was, that's part of the reason why I was fighting with people. I'm like, oh, he'd be a perfect oiler. They need more grit, whatever. We got to get him."
1: Yeah. Checkmarking so the that's uh, one goes. for the oil night there for sure. As, uh, <laughs> hindsight worked out. <laughs>
2: Well, break Debrincat too, he—I was really pushing him for second round.
1: But. That was a lot. Like a lot of people were pushing for that one, and I—I I wasn't so much in on that one. But looking back, I understand obviously with like the junior ties, and I mean, I'll—I'm yeah. not going to be the one that tries to say that that wasn't a miss. The guys, an absolute stud of a goal scorer, but yeah and Benson we're still not sure
2: right because they took yeah Benson and I liked ahead of the him. Benson
1: pick but I I, I understand why DuBrink it would have been I mean obviously now with the hindsight that he's the he would have been the better option for sure
2: yeah yeah I think so too but
1: it um, is interesting I, though and I sorry go ahead Cal.
0: oh no you can finish your point go for it I,
1: I was just it's interesting because I think when you know I really really love this fan base I think that's one of the things that being an Oilers fan, like outside of the actual watching the hockey team, I think mm. I, I love being a part of that. Really die hard, like through and through. I mean, we might be overly critical, but we've supported this team through some through some really rough. Um, oh, somebody's ripping a motorcycle there! Um, oh, you can hear that, eh? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. It came through really clear, actually. Um, I, I live
2: by I live by the road, so. Yeah, no, that's left. all good. No yeah, nothing on you.
1: I was just surprised how clear it came through my headphones and distracted me there. Um, but I think the one, one of the things about having such a big fan base, and not to compare us to Toronto, because I think that's a, a really, I think there's a, a much bigger fan base with their own problems. But mm-hmm. with that size comes a lot of people that, I'm not questioning their fandom or, or how much they love the team, but kind of their their level of info, how informed they are, I guess. And you see like, you know, you see so much on Twitter of like, well, let's just buy Chris Russell out. That'll free up $4 million. And it's like, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay your fandom at all, but it, like, do you understand how biotes work? Like that doesn't benefit us whatsoever. Now you're, you're dragging cap along and having to replace him for more money. Like it just, it doesn't do anything at all. It was the same thing with Lou Cheech. and you just see a lot of, you know, misinformed opinions and it can get frustrating when, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the, the idiots are the loudest one in the rooms a lot of the
2: times. Yeah, for sure. And it, a lot of impulsive and, and irrational thinking and commenting on there. People are frustrated and, you know, it, I, I, I've i kind of interacted with a lot of different uh, fan bases. And obviously I'm heavily surrounded in Toronto fan base here. And I mm-hmm. certainly am not a, not a, a fan of that at all, but <laughs> I'm sure. I, I don't, I don't think anyone eats their own more than than Edmonton. I mean, it's it's just amazing how everybody gets thrown under the bus. And you know, dry settle can't drive his own line, and there was all kinds of some some of the mainstream writers there were trying to trade him there a few years ago. They've been trying mm-hmm. to run Nurse out of the out of town forever. Like nobody's ever good enough. Like they have to play perfect, and if they don't, even on game nights, if you follow in. I mean, I got to admit, sometimes I get, I've had a few pops and something. Sometimes I'll throw a few guys under the bus, but it's not like, you know, trade them, trade the bomb, get them yeah, out. Yeah, exactly.
1: Just, We've been critical you know. at Nurse at times too, but I think it's one of the things that, oh, well, I think it was Eric Friesen we had on actually, and he was talking about Nurse being really, really close with McDavid, like person personality-wise. So it was, yeah. or not personality-wise, but they're close friends. And yeah. brought up that aspect of it. And it was it kind of opened our eyes a little bit to it. I feel like anyways, it was a really good point And, I think that's something that, yeah, we're a very reactionary fan base as well as, you know, kind of what have you done for me lately? Like, Mm -hmm. Dreisaitl has three or four bad games or look at the high and low of Zach Cassian this year, for instance. Like, that's a prime example of, you know, and, and Kyle and I have probably been guilty of it too, but him having the start of a career year. And then having some rough suspensions mixed in with some really rough battle of Albertas that I don't think most Oilers fans had any problems with. But then you add in the kick and the lack of production. And there's some people that are pretty choked about that contract. And I'm not saying it's a great one, but he almost went from like a fan favorite to almost a little bit of the whipping boy in some people's eyes. Not as a whole, but in some people's eyes.
0: I mean, it's people being promised sorry promised a... You know success and excellence for years and years now, and then not being shown that on ice and then when it does get shown right, they just want it to continue and as soon as that turns around i I can see why people react so strongly to it. It's not the right thing to do right but i
2: I do get why people snap like that.
1: It makes sense why that culture is there a little bit
2: well, and it feels like for Edmonton just and this is just perception from again from abroad, but it's it really kind of feels like um the bar was set extremely high from the 80s and there's a lot of fans that are still still remember them vividly and and what a great franchise edmonton was at one point and how good they were in city of champions and just that excellence and they still expect that from from this organization now and unless you reach that bar again it's never going to be good enough right and i, I kind of get that sense especially with a lot of the older writers in that it's just it's it doesn't matter to them. It, you're not you're never gonna be Gretzky, you're never gonna be Messier. You know, McDavid has a bad game. Well then McDavid's he needs to pick up his, you know, Yeah, it's like it's him media getting media called going. out. Obviously he's
1: not getting, you know, yeah. recommended to get traded, but he is he's getting criticized pretty quickly.
2: Well, and one thing one thing I can say about the Toronto media, the Toronto area for the most part, if anything, they're guilty of um like overhyping lo- almost. Overhyping, yeah, loving their players too much. So oh, Kenny! I remember Kenny Johnson was going to be the next Nicholas Lindstrom. Uh, Matt and Dean was yeah. like a greatest top ten player of all time. Like they really just kind of prop these guys up for the most part. I mean, there's a little bit of exceptions here and there, but uh, Austin Matthews is better than McDavid, for example, right? Like and, just, and it's funny how
1: they they rationalize that where it was like at the start when he first got drafted, it was Austin Matthews is like equal or better than McDavid, and then when McDavid really took a step forward. And emerged as like the league's best player, the best player in the world, and you know you could say arguably, but most people kind of admit that by this point, we definitely do. But and then it was all of a sudden, oh, Drysdale, and then Drysdale has two back to back career years, and they're still kind of fighting with that one. And it's like Austin yeah. Matthews is a great player. It's the same thing as Jack Eichel, and that's one of my pet peeves when when generational gets thrown out way too often. And it's like, like you can sure. be a superstar and an elite player, and there's nothing wrong with that. But stop calling every player that hits a hundred points or fifty goals generational. Like it's it's just not what they
2: are. Yeah, well generational. I mean it's pretty obvious what generational is it's Gretzky, it's Lemieux, right? It's Crosby, it's McDavid. I'd even say like
1: Ovechkin, maybe, yeah. Like there's some yeah. borderline guys there. I mean but yeah, it it's it's you like at the end of the day, you can't. If you have five or ten generational players every five to ten years, if that's what people are arguing, it kind of takes away from the actual meaning of of the term generational. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like everybody throwing the, throwing the word epic around for everything. Oh, well, it's epic. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it it's not that epic if you're tossing it around like candy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: As well, we uh we are going to transition kind of more into your scouting here, Sean. But I do uh, I did before we move on. Um, Kyle and I, we just had our bracket as a lot of podcasts did once yeah. hockey ended. And I don't know if you saw on Twitter, it's okay if you didn't, but our bracket was who do Oilers fans hold the biggest grudge against and kind of on that topic of Oilers fans being a little bit, you know, judgmental or or critical. So yeah. not against anybody's surprise here. Like nobody should be surprised whatsoever. But Can I
2: guess. Sure, feel free. So what was the question? Who's
1: so who do Oilers fans hold the biggest grudge against? And there were players. So the half of the bracket was players. A quarter yeah. was management and coaching and a quarter was media members.
2: Well, I think it'd probably be all of the above. But uh, yeah, I mean, all I
1: would say is don't overthink it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they hate management, right? For the most part. And they hate, uh, hate the media, too. And then media fared I a
1: lot better if I can i sorry I'm not trying to give more away than I should but you were right on the management train I'll, I'll narrow that down
2: well yeah obviously Shirelli, and that that was a big mistake right
1: yeah he was definitely the one that made it and then it was pretty much on the other side it was all ducks that moved forward it was like the final four on the players were what was it Kyle Pronger Kessler Perry Kachuk I think were the final four and then Perry won that and faced Shirelli and got smoked <laughs> oh okay but sorry um i completely forgot to ask the question there my bad Got completely (laughs) sidetracked um is is there anyone else besides shirelli that you hold a random grudge against for whether short-term or long-term or does he kind of take the cake for you as well
2: so here's the thing and i'm gonna full disclosure i was a big shirelli guy when he got hired i'm not gonna lie um so that we can kind of tie this back into when I came on Twitter, I started, uh, I was kind of sick of the negativity and there was a lot of anti Shirelli people right from the beginning. So I decided that I'm going to um, draw a line and I'm going to create an allegiance and and I'm going to support Shirelli and I'm going to fight all the people that were <laughs> anti Shirelli So I think for like the, the first year I was on Twitter, I was just like, just going, just blasting anybody that was just negative and, anti Shirellian screw this team. And he doesn't know what he's doing. And you know, um, so I, I mean, he, 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 he built a Stanley cup winner championship team. You can argue who drafted it and who built it in Boston, but he had a Stanley cup ring. Um, He had a great resume as far as win loss records. So for me, he, he had credibility and he deserved, and he was taking over a tire fire. So I certainly wanted to give him a few years at least to see what he could do, get a get a few years under his belt. So I definitely supported him for a while, and I was pretty I was pretty vocal about it. Um, so I wouldn't say that. Uh, and then even I guess even after that, like even the Taylor Hall trade for example, I understood why he did it, and I mean I understood why he signed loot cheats and he had to overpay. Um, I, I I didn't like the trade necessarily, but I, I understood it. And then they drafted Poly Arby at the same time as they signed Lucic, and they were trying to replace that offense. It, it kind of made sense philosophically. He just didn't get enough value and get quite the right players and whatever. But I kind of saw what he was doing, and and I still give him credit to this to this day for he at least fixed the leftorium, and we got all kinds of great young right shot defensemen, and all, actually all kinds of young defensemen coming up in general. I, I think he did a good job there um he did set the team back and he just went completely off the rails down the down the stretch there you know trading for brandon manning and things like that um but i don't really i mean all else considered looking at the situation he came into um you know sure he wasn't perfect he made lots of mistakes but you know lots of gms do i i don't really hold a grudge against him i wish it would have worked out better and I wish maybe I wasn't so pro Chiarelli right from the beginning, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm still don't really hold much of a grudge against them.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because I don't disagree with a single thing you said, and I was in a very similar boat, but instead of Twitter, it was on Reddit. Kyle and I were both big Redditors and, and still are at times kind of off and on. And I feel the exact same way where I really had faith with Shirelli, and he he was a proven winner, like you said. I was right up, like even with the Eberle-Strom trade, I was fine with that. It was right up until after the—sorry, we made the playoffs 16-17. And then so the 17-18 season, when that was a tire fire of a season, and he didn't put the train back on the tracks after that. That's when I kind of flipped. And then the reason I hold the grudge against him is— the like you alluded to with the Manning trade. Um there, he made another god awful trade. Oh, the Strom for Spooner trade. That was another absolutely terrible yeah. trade. Um that was when I really, really flipped on him and that's where the my the grudge I have now. Personally, you know, speaking to the bracket, I as far as kind of not irrational but random grudges I hold, I'd still say pronger, which I'm shocked he didn't go further. But um sorry, there was one other thing I wanted to say about Sherelli. Oh, you you touched on his drafting, and I think that was one of the things is you look back on his drafts, and that's probably the best Edmonton has drafted in a good five to ten years, and he did really stalk our cupboards. So I'm not trying to be a Shirelli apologist at this point either, but I'm with you, and I I think you made some good points. And Kyle, were you, at, at the start at least, you were fairly pro Shirelli as well, were you not?
0: Of course I was. I mean, he had just come off winning a cup with Boston, right? I mean... As far as we knew out west, like his track record was fine. I remember on Reddit there was a couple of people that were complaining about from Boston, right? His uh, his salary control when he would uh, sign contracts, but other than that, they didn't really hate on him too much. I know there was obviously the the Seguin trade that happened after he was gone, anyways, right?
1: Uh, I think he was. I thought he was there with the was Sagan trade. It, to be okay. honest, yeah,
0: oh yeah, the he was tra- right. Yeah, he traded yeah. Tyler and Taylor, right? Yeah, so yeah, um,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh but yeah, obviously I, I, I didn't hate the guy when he first came here and I was in the same position as you, John. It was really like the strom Spooner trade and uh
1: Manning and, like and,
0: that last half yeah. of the year that really like got me going, right? Yeah, the Manning trade for uh oh my god, why am I slipping? Drake
1: Kajula, yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah,
0: like that was a tough one, right? And then seeing Kajula have success on the first line um with Taze afterwards right so so if you
1: don't yeah. if you don't hold a huge grudge against uh shirelli there sean is there anyone else in like it could be from the 90s or currently or anything is there anybody you really hold a grudge against it could, and it could be x it doesn't have to be an oiler it could be matthew could chuck if you really i know you said you liked him but
2: oh you mean just like management or players in general anybody hold a grudge yeah like like
1: anybody and if you don't that's fine too and you don't don't feel like i'm forcing you into an answer well
2: i'll think about it but um I want to say with Pronger. I mean, I don't hold a grudge against Pronger at all. Um, Chris, I don't even know if we can swear on this on this podcast or. Anything. Oh yeah, feel
1: free, feel oh, free. Yes, yeah, sorry, we've been on good behavior so far. But oh, we swear I be okay.
2: Yeah, but Chris, like Chris fucking Pronger, like that was he was absolutely <laughs> a beast, right? Like that year was. Oh. I don't think. To be perfectly honest, I don't think I've ever been prouder as an Oilers fan than i was that year like i was completely bombed the entire playoffs i live right inside <laughs> a pub that year and I, to be honest oh like, no <laughs> yeah watch it watching the games like 10 years later they were just a blur like i did that actually happen i don't even remember that right <laughs> um like that team was awesome i just felt so good just just when pronger put that jersey on and got on the ice it's just like this guy's just he's so intimidating and he just it's one of those guys you're just so proud and glad he's an oiler, he's on your side right And he was just kind of that big tough leader like i just i loved it and uh, when he left i mean that's still the biggest heartbreak for me and i didn't become an oilers fan until 89 90 so i kind of with the whole gretzky thing i was i came right after that but um right when when he left i was so devastated and so disappointed but i mean you know i guess his wife's kind of gave him an ultimatum you got to we got to get out of here. Right. And I don't know. I, I don't hold a grudge against, but I don't really, I don't really hold a grudge against anybody. If I think about it, as far as, I mean, there's players that I dislike for sure. And I think there's managers that are absolute morons, but as far as holding a personal grudge, yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody that kind of jumps off the top of my head, except maybe Bill Peters for not, uh, for not playing McDavid in the last minute team Canada there that, that one tournament and then all the stuff that happened after that i guess he'd probably be yeah one. It's like, yeah he's about the Bill only peters one.
1: is pretty deserving
2: yeah so as far
1: as grudges go um I, I i will say like i think that's part of the reason why i hold a grudge against pronger so much and it's exactly what you said like i kyle and i are both too young where we didn't see paul coffee play or any of like any of the 80s we were born in the early 90s so it was you know and and began Became Oilers fans fairly young in our in our age, kind of like late nineties, early early two thousands. But so Pronger was without a doubt the best defenseman I've ever seen put on an Oilers jersey, and it's not even close. Um, but I think that was one of the things that why I hold such a grudge is he got us so close, and I give credit where credit is due in that sense. But on the flip side, it hurt. So much when he demanded that trade, and especially after listening to him on Chicklets a few months ago, mm-hmm. as much as he says about the whole thing where like I was sold a bill of goods that didn't come true, I think he signed that five year deal not fully intending to play in Edmonton long term, and that that's what pisses me off. But and and maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's my hunch, and that's I'm sticking to it as far as that goes. And now a quick message from our friends at Alley Cat Brewing Company. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Alley Cat is offering free delivery in Edmonton Monday to Friday, St. Albert on Wednesdays, and Sherwood Park on Thursdays. Check out their new summer raspberry sour, Razzy Cat, in addition to their full lineup of delicious brews. Alley Cat is the OG craft brewery in Edmonton, serving yeggs since 1995. For more information, check out AlleyCatBeer.com. That's Cat with a K Beer.com. Don't forget to mention that you listen to the oil country podcast for an additional 10% off your order. Minimum order and terms and conditions apply. Visit alleycatbeer.com dot com for more information.
0: Just in general, how, how hard do you find it to be influenced or not influenced uh, by mainstream rankings when you do your junior rankings?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. That's, um, I guess that's kind of one of the things that I really try to avoid. I don't, uh, I see a lot of, there's so many people out there um, that have got their own draft rankings and a lot of them are affiliated with either, you know, future considerations or Dauber prospects or whatever. So a lot of them are kind of that are, are very similar. Um, it's almost like one big echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So for me, whenever they put out their list, I try and stay away from them. And uh, even Craig button, when he puts out his list, I, I kind of like to click on it just for my own personal amusement. <laughs> uh, like I, kind of feel, I kind of feel like he's a bit anti-Oilers. and
1: He definitely is.
2: <laughs> and uh, he certainly does not watch the OHL nearly as much as I do. I know that for a fact. Um, so, but yeah, for the most part, I, I don't really pay attention to those lists. Um, I do just kind of use the initial rankings at the beginning of the year as kind of a guide. And after that, it's, it's, I completely do it on my own. Just to kind of get that
1: base so you're kind of familiar with what's going on and where people are loosely projected and then obviously make everything up like on your own side after that.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I'm not afraid to kind of go against the grain. I I trust my God. I trust my eyes. Like I said, I've been doing this independently and unprofessionally for over a decade, really, where I've been really committed to it. And, you know, I'd like to think I have a pretty good track record when it comes to predicting who's going to who's going to have an impact and who isn't. So I just kind of stick to my guns. You're unapologetic too, which is what I like about that, where it's like, you can really tell that you've done
1: your homework and it's not in an arrogant way or anything like that, but you're just confident in the information that you're you've accumulated and, and, the, and the rankings that you've come out with and the opinions you've formed because you have put the work in, right. Which I can definitely respect that.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you can't fake confidence. Like if, if you don't watch these kids and you, you know, year in and year out consistently then it's it's hard to kind of fake that and for me i'm like i'm an absolute diehard ohl guy um i watch the ohl well, i watched every single game of the london knights and luckily for me the knights typically play friday night and usually the oilers don't play on friday nights and then right and then typically london will play on the sunday afternoon and you know the Oilers don't typically ever play afternoon games, and if they do, it's usually on a Saturday. So it kind of works out. And then even the nights where where London plays, they typically play at seven o'clock. Well, then the Oilers games don't come on until nine nine thirty Eastern time. So I can still kind of balance them both. So for me, I get a lot of hockey, and I follow a lot of HL. I love it. I'm confident in it, and uh, yeah. So I I, I try and I, I try and express that in my in my rankings and I try and let people know where I'm coming from my perspective, how I kind of see things. I, and, and scouting is very subjective, right? I'm not saying I know everything and what I say is, is the gospel, but I do think that I, I do kind of look for certain things and I highlight it there in the top 31 list, certain red flags and that, that I look for. And I, I think others kind of often overlook. So maybe that's kind of what makes me a little bit different than the general consensus
1: you transitioned us so perfectly there because we were literally just about to go yeah. into your your NHL translatable skills. <laughs> so you highlight them as skating, smarts, which aka hockey IQ, playmaking, shot production and compete level. So I was just curious if you could kind of elaborate on that and and what your are you looking for any one of those over the other ones or is it all kind of a big broad picture? How do you approach that?
2: It is a broad picture. Like for me, I kind of have certain prospects. They have to hit a certain level of production. Like there's, I kind of rank them in 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 terms of tiers. So they have to kind of have that elite production first, and then from there, there's a lot of guys that kind of kind of reach that top level. And then from there, I kind of break down their skill sets. And I think one of the biggest pet peeves for me is people that do this. Uh, just for fun or whatever they um i think they overemphasize stats too much and they don't realize that just because you put up a lot of stats in junior that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to the nhl and that kind of goes back to just you know looking over the draft history in the past and guys like ryan Strome being drafted ahead of mark shifley because he put up 100 points for niagara that year um it's just looking
1: at you nail yakupov
2: yeah yeah exactly right And, and and with I just want to say with Nail Yakupov, I was never a fan of Nail Yakupov. My dad, who's a big hockey guy, we used to go to get games all the time, never a fan of Yak Yakupov at all, hated his game, too flashy, wasn't smart, turned over the puck, never came back in his own zone, things like that. But he was the consensus first overall pick, right? And it just and that's part of the reason why I do what I do. I, I really look for red flags that other people just – dismiss or they overlook, oh yeah, but look at all the points he got. You know, like Arthur Kalyev last year, for example, in the OHL had fifty one goals, fifty one assists, hundred and two points. And there were people saying, Oh, he should be a top five, top ten pick for sure. And I was one of the ones that was very adamant. I said, No, this guy's lazy. He doesn't he doesn't play defense. He's he's a soft player. He only shows up when he wants to. I would not take him in the first round kind of thing. Well then he ended up dropping to the second round, right? But I got all kinds of fights with people just trying to, you know how could you say I see the production A 100 point guy is not a first round pick give me a break right but again it goes back to I'd like to think I have a bit of a foundation so you gotta have the production and then from there I look at those translatable skills and if you don't have those and I see red flags that I also highlight in that article then it's going to affect the ranking so as far as which one do I put above the other they're all pretty much equal for the most part but um, if any of those red flags are in there then that I, I immediately penalized the prospect.
0: Well, and how important those red flags are too, right? Like if, to relate it to Oilers fans, uh, with pooley right? He was passed over from Columbus who has a Finnish GM, right? So they interviewed him and, and didn't like his attitude, didn't want to be a part of the yep. team, and then took Dubois. We were probably going to take Kachuk and then ended up passing on that just to take uh because you had to because he was the consensus right. top three pick, Right. Um, but yeah, having that red flag there and and knowing you had attitude problems would have probably helped us out in the long run right now. So
1: and and looking at that specifically, like you look at the hockey world in general, as well as the the Oilers fan base and Oilers Nation, not not specifically yeah. the brand Oilers Nation, but as a whole oil country. Everyone was like, what is Columbus doing? That is absolutely ridiculous. Like, Pujarvi's the fide guy. He's a can't-miss prospect. And look at how that's panned out. Like, that that's such a prime example of looking at those red flags. Yeah. Specifically to Pujarvi, do you remember what your... I i didn't follow him a ton other than knowing he was kind of that fide top three pick all year.
2: Yeah.
1: It, was there anything specifically pre-draft for you that really stood out at that time? As a negative, I mean?
2: So that was just kind of when I joined the social media, when I was on Low Tides blog, okay. blogging that. For me, um, I kind of did a little bit of research on him, and I you know, I could see oh, he's talented in that. But just like you guys, it was the same thing. If, if the finished GM's not going to take him, then something's up. I don't trust it, and I don't necessarily – I'm not convinced he's going to be – I always kind of look for busts, to be perfectly honest. Like when I go through and I look at everybody's list, I look at who has the highest bust potential. I'm not looking at all the rosy things about each prospect, and that's all I do. I just I just write every single prospect, all the nice things about them. I'm looking for a few guys in particular every year who I think could be busts. And for Arby, I could definitely see the, there might have been something there, but I didn't know him enough um, as a prospect. All I knew was I was 100% locked in for Kachuk. I didn't care who dropped, what happened. Well, except unless it was Lane, right? But um Kachuk was my guy. He was the perfect fit for the team. So even though Pulley Arby dropped, oh, that's nice. I know he's general consensus, but I'm not a consensus guy. I don't care. Get the guy that would be a perfect fit with McDavid, get Kachuk. So that's kind of what my my mentality was at that time.
1: I think we can all agree that we're probably not huge fans of Kachuk currently. But going back to that <laughs> that draft, yeah. it is interesting when I look at your NHL translatable skills and I know you brought up the concern that people had at the time about skating, mm-hmm. but I always like the prospects where you can really tell that he he had the tools of the minus the maybe the skating concern at the time, but he was such a savvy, high compete get under your skin type player and I mean look look at his Look at, I mean, who he's, his dad is what I'm trying to say and stumbling over my words here. Yeah. But you look at that and I, I, as much as it pains me to say it, and I don't like Kachuk because he's a flame, Mm -hmm. but I think that is kind of a special trait where he's got that almost fourth line grinder, physical player mentality, but he's got the skill of a top six winger.
2: Yeah, and what people forget, and, and this was part of the reason I was fighting with people back then, a lot of people watched the, the run to the Memorial Cup, right, and, and they ended up winning it all. And they didn't like his skating, but he played with a sprained ankle the entire Memorial mm. Cup. And having watched him throughout the whole year in London, uh, you could see his skating was good. Like he could definitely skate. He wasn't he wasn't a burner, but he wasn't slow by any means. But he was playing on a sprained ankle the entire Memorial Cup, right? So people that hadn't watched London all year. They just turn on the tube and they watch him. Oh, he doesn't look like he's that much of a skater, right? And that was kind of one of the nods. Yeah. And I kept telling everybody that would listen, no, I'm telling you, he's hurt. Like he's not – and he still fought through it. And he had – yeah, the compete level competitiveness, that's off the charts, work ethic, all that. But I, I agree. I, 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 don't like his, I don't like his antics now. I wish he would just tone it down and just play because he can be a, a heck of a hockey player. But I guess he's just kind of assumed that pest role. He thinks it works for him. And, uh, but after getting the shit kicked out of him and I think and his teammates kind of, you know, embarrassed by him and having, you know, talking to him about it, I think I would expect moving forward, he's probably going to be a little less under your skin than the normal. I think he might slowly kind of transform a little bit more his, his game, just not be such as, he's still going to be a shit disturber, but he's going to mature a little bit. is probably a fair expectation. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think so it's just so frustrating that he's such a good player. Like if he was like a Zach Ronaldo, right. It would be so easy like to just get rid of him, but he's just like, you, you, you want to love him, but you just hate him too. Yeah. yeah.
1: He's one of the, I mean, classic pest, love him. If he's on your team, hate him. If he's not, especially exactly. if he's in your division. I mean, Kessler was a guy, if I was, God forbid, I was a Canucks fan. Mm-hmm. I probably would have been a big Kessler fan growing up. Right. So you, as someone that is, more in the know as far as amateur scouting and you put a lot of work into that. Mm -hmm. What is your feeling when fan bases are really, really upset about picks in the first round. And especially when you know, the vast majority of those fans are either one, just repeating the echo chamber, or even if they have formed opinion and, you know, an independent opinion on it, Mm -hmm. it's probably coming from a highlight video or two, maybe a blog they read or something like that. And they're not really genuinely scouting their player. And I, I think a a Broberg kind of comes to mind there, right? Yeah. How do you, do you think that's fair from the
2: fan base or does that frustrate you? Uh Um, Maybe frustrates me a little bit, but I, I, again, scouting is so subjective, and I, and I try not to come across as I'm the one that knows everything, and I'm right, you're wrong. I really try and stay away from that. I just try and present my case and just kind of give my perspective. So if somebody were, you know, real adamant about a, a certain prospect and I disagreed, um, you know, I would, again, just kind of play devil's advocate maybe, and just kind of present some of the information I have. But I certainly wouldn't rip them for it or anything like that unless it's somebody i actually truly dislike on twitter well then we'll just go toe to toe but um (laughs) but as far as yeah as far as the fan base goes that i mean i understand i've i mean i've been there and if if you see the highlights it's everybody gets excited like the draft is is so exciting you got the next potential big thing on your team right a nice new shiny Mm -hmm. toy and and you want to get excited about it. When you see some highlights and clips, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I want this guy on, on our team. And, and I totally get that. So I try not to shoot people down or, or take shots at them or anything. I just, uh, like I said, just try and add a little bit extra perspective if I, if I do disagree with it. Try and be respectful about it at the end of the day, which, which is a good thing for sure. I mean, I
1: think our, our world in, in the world of social media, I think we need more of that. So that is good to hear.
0: I guess just jumping back into the draft and, and just to, question that's kind of debated out there. What's your take on the best player available versus position of need when you draft again, with Broberg being kind of an example of that.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Cause it's when we were talking about pulley RV and, and Kachuk, that's kind of what came to mind, right? Um, do you take the best player available or do you take the best fit? And th- there's a common, there's a common sense out there that common theme that a lot of people are saying BPA, BPA, BPA take best player available. But again, not being a consensus guy myself, I don't really think that that's always the case. And and again, best player available is subjective. Like best player available according to who, right? Um, according to Craig Button, according to you know future considerations. What is, who is the best player available? Um, so for me, I, I think it's uh, you want to fit um you definitely don't want to reach too far i think that's you you want to take one of the best players available you don't want to take a reach you you definitely should trade down in that case Um, but as far as broberg goes specifically um he was one of those ones where he was just kind of all over the map like a lot of people i talked to some people had him really high and some people like myself had him kind of more down in the 20s um i i didn't my my own personal thought, I didn't really understand the pick. I thought a forward was definitely the way to go there, especially having drafted Bouchard the year before and a guy like Sam Marukov really having a great year. Um,
1: and there was a lot of kind of, there's kind of a logjam of like wingers sitting right there ready to go to.
2: Yeah, well, Philip Tomasino was my guy. I loved Philip Tomasino and he had a monster year this year in the OHL. He didn't end up going until in the 20s, but um, I would have took Cole call. Cole Caulfield for sure at that point. I thought he's kind of like that cat mm-hmm. type where he would have been a good fit. Or there's neat guys that can shoot the puck, right? He can definitely rip it.
1: He fit, he fits that need without a doubt. I know that's he went to Montreal. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, he's in Montreal. Yeah. 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 yeah he's he's a guy that I, I always find it more interesting to watch the like really really undersized player. Like you know we mentioned DeBrinket. I think was that that might have been off air. I can't remember. But we mentioned DeBrinket and obviously Oilers oh, have Yamamoto who's you know immediately turned into a fan favorite since like January first.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So I always I always find that kind of it feels like an against all odds story when it comes to those really undersized guys.
2: Mhm. Yeah. well, there's there's a few more this year too.
1: Yeah. So as we get into specifically with the 2020 NHL draft coming up, um we kind of wanted to provide a little bit of insight and obviously we're going to we're going to send out your top 31 ranking, but that isn't necessarily a mock draft. You make that very clear in your kind of header on that as well. So we wanted to provide a little bit of insight or, or your insight from you anyways heading into this draft and we have to make a few assumptions to do that, but let's assume Edmonton drafts somewhere in that 22 to 31 range Mm -hmm. in the first round based off your rankings. Who do you think is a potential kind of fall and steal that you would be absolutely over the moon stoked if the Oilers were able to draft?
2: Well, two guys that I think it's very, very unlikely. They're still there. Um, Like let's say they end up drafting 20th, for example. I I still think it's very unlikely, although we may get lucky and, and still might be able to, to nail one of them. And one of them's in in the WHL, Seth Jarvis. Um, I think uh, anybody that's listened to us, a lot of people out there at West, probably familiar with him. He's had an absolutely terrific year. And he's such a speedster. He he works so hard. He's just he, he, He's he's just like a buzzsaw out there. He never stops skating. And he's got high-end skill and that. And then uh, in the Quebec League, Dawson Mercer's another guy that's very similar to Jarvis. Um, he, he played for team Canada there for a few international uh, tournaments and he, he's got a, he can kind of stick hail in the phone booth and he never takes a shift off and he plays a complete 200 foot game too. brings a ton of speed. Those two guys are really almost, almost kind of like Yamamoto, except even faster. And, and, uh, well, I guess Yamamoto plays a pretty good 200 foot game now too. And I think about it. But yeah, he's it was,
1: adding it for sure. <laughs>
2: yeah, lots of speed, lots of skill, those two guys. I expect them to be gone in the first 19 picks. But if one of those two guys were to slip, that I think they would be home runs for the Oilers. And then um, uh, but assuming those are gone, um, uh, and there'll be a couple other guys that I, I may end up putting on Twitter there at some point. But the uh I think the guy that I would target, I think should be available. Let's just say at twenty is he had Misak and he plays in the OHL. He came from the Czech Republic. Um, and I guess in January, right after the World Juniors there last year, he came over to the OHL and just immediately stepped in and played like a boss. Like he's got a bit of dry set on his game. He's got the power and acceleration, and he uh he, he's a playmaker and a scorer. He can he can kind of do it all. He penalty kills. He plays power play. He's he comes back defensively, and he had 15 goals in 22 games there for for Hamilton, and he was the best player many nights. And he's one of the younger kids in this draft too. I think is his birth date's in June and uh, he grew a couple inches, I think in six months or something. He's up to I think six, six, one now or something. He's still got room to grow physically, a lot of talent, great hockey sense and a lot of upside there. So he, he's kind of the guy that I'm, I'm really hoping drops or still there at 20. Cause I think he would be a natural fit. You could, he plays center in the wing so you could put him at like third line center in a year from now. and And from there he can kind of work his way up the lineup and, you know, eventually, hopefully, be top line. If you don't mind,
1: if I can, you know, allude to your rankings a little bit. Yeah. That was Misak that you have at number 10, is that
2: correct? Yeah, that's him at number 10. So that ranking, I put out the top 31, just to be clear, anybody that's not not familiar with it, it's definitely not a, ma- a mock draft. It's, it's literally right. a ranking of who I think the best players are or are going to be in the NHL uh, based on their skill sets and that. And I think Misak is, is, is a top 10 talent in this draft. And I think I'm, I'm hoping he's going to be available. Uh, when the
0: Edmonton drafts it's nice to talk to you and get these insight on these players because usually as an Oilers fan right we would already be looking into these names and be knowing who most of these players are right but uh but this year we've been lucky not having to look into the draft picks as of like November Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm still like half out of the loop on a lot of these players that would be falling the, uh, you know, 20 to 30 range. So, so it's nice hearing like your picks and who to look out for.
1: And and that was one of the big reasons why I thought it was really important to try try and get you on there, Sean, too, because yeah, me, me and Kyle aren't going to try and pretend that we're some draft experts. Like we, a lot of it is regurgitated information when we start getting into the, the amateur side, cause we just, we don't watch enough junior hockey. I mean... I'm. Uh, I grew up in Red Deer watching the Red Deer Rebels all the time. But, yeah. you know, I other than one game this year, I I really don't watch. So it is, it is. Uh, yeah, it's nice to get that insight for sure. And hopefully we'll, you know, fingers crossed heading into that draft. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on there too, when you look at your ranking, how much do you, how much do you weigh? More of like the bona fide surefire pick versus maybe a higher ceiling, but like a more of a boomer bust. Do you do you rank that based off ceiling or just who you think is going to hit whatever bar?
2: Yeah, that's another good question. Well, <laughs> you guys come prepared, I tell you. Uh,
1: Sorry if we're throwing
2: you on the spot. No, no, all. no, it's, it's great. I know, I know exactly what uh, what I want to tell you. But before I do that, I just wanted to mention that um, you asked me there before why i do what i do kind of thing and i guess i never really finished that story but the the reason why i have Mm. the blog is is was one because of the negativity that was out there but the real purpose of of my blog is to bring content and and this is kind of what kyle was talking about there before but provide content to a market that doesn't really have access to it so being an ontario guy and and following the Ontario Hockey League as much as I do and being a prospect guy, I, I felt like there was kind of a need a want uh, from the Edmonton market on that. And I'm more than happy to provide it. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm neck deep in it anyways. So that's kind of why, really why I do what I do. why I have the blog it's for, you know, people like yourself. So I can kind of provide you that information. Cause I remember five years ago, even before, like I even got on social media, I wanted to know about all that stuff. And I, you know, there, there wasn't anybody really to kind of give that to me. So I, I'd like to think there's uh, there's a lot of fans out there that appreciate the work and the insight. And, and that's really all I'm doing. I'm doing it for the fans. I obviously don't get paid for it. Right. Um, I enjoy it. And uh, you know, just getting positive feedback from guys like you and that it's uh, that's rewarding enough for me. So I just wanted to kind of get that in first because Kyle kind of reminded me of that. I think you hit it on such perfect timing, especially being an Oilers
1: fan, like you said, as well as following the OHL specifically very closely, as well as other amateur leagues. But we're a fan base that for a span of, you know, five, six years, yeah, you have the later rounds, but I've always found as a fan, that's not, you know, really, really enjoys the draft, really looks forward to it, but hasn't really dug deep near as deep as you have. Where we were always just looking in November of like, oh, who is the top one pick? Who, if we don't win the lottery, <laughs> who's next or who's third, right? So it's that's a very easy thing to do as even a casual fan. You look at three guys, watch all their videos and and do all this stuff. But now we're transitioning and and thankfully, because I don't know how much longer any of us could have taken. But now we're transitioning where we're picking later in the rounds, where there is a lot more information to dig through so i think the service you're providing especially for an oilers fan base definitely has a lot of merit in that sense
2: well yeah and, and fortunate and lucky for me uh, edmonton had uh, up until i guess last season we had four big time prospects i consider in all in the ohl and that was evan bouchard and samarukoff ryan mcleod and Kirill Maximov. all four of them were in the mm-hmm. ohl so i was pumping out reports like crazy following those following these guys religiously and just cause every audience fans just wanted to know more. Right. And that's one thing, I, right. that's one thing I love about the owner fan base. They are so passionate and just, just that thirst for information. They can never get enough. Like what's going on. I even did like Bakersfield condor threads this year, where I'd I watch the games online and I would take clips and just put them on and show highlights of Bouchard and that. And people are just going nuts over it. Right. Um, so, um, so that's kind of why, yeah, like that's kind of why I do it. And, uh, it's, I, I really enjoy it. I'm glad Oyster fans enjoy it as well. And yeah, I'm going to keep on doing it, but I I should probably go back and answer your original question now. I, I
1: completely <laughs> forgot if we had asked it, but yes, please do. <laughs> okay.
2: You're, well, what was it? Something about, um, oh, you're asking me about uh, upside.
1: Yeah, like kind of the ceiling versus like the bonafide ceiling versus boomer bust prospects, like how you kind of joggle to like rank them.
2: Yeah, it's tricky. It, it, it's kind of a per player basis I don't it's I, I a lot of times I kind of go with my gut like I do worry with with high high ceiling guys if if they don't have the production right away but you you project them as a high ceiling like like Byfield for example Quentin Byfield. he's uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people have him ranked as he's the consensus number two overall pick well for me I had him ranked fourth um, everybody f- kind of falls in love with his size and his skill and just the the measurables right and they think well he has such a high ceiling because he's young too but there's also a chance he he never reaches that reaches that ceiling right a ceiling's great but if you don't reach it well then you know it's 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 not as good as you think so for me i certainly like i i I do like a little bit of safety in the players like i don't like high risk guys that that um i guess kind of have some of the the red flags i talked about um, I, I do like the guys that their games, it looks like they'll translate to the NHL that they will be solid pros. Um, but in terms of the, the high ceiling, uh, again, it, it, it just it really just depends on the prospect for you. but I, I'm not 100% sold on take the most talented or the most skilled guy with the highest ceiling every time there are other factors that kind of come into play
1: i guess to kind of i don't want to put words in your mouth but would it be fair to summarize kind of that you you definitely factor in their ceiling obviously but you also factor in how likely you think it is that they hit that ceiling right if it's just a huge boomer bust that's going to be a much lower ranking typically than someone that might not quite have as high of a ceiling but is like way way more likely and you're way more confident they're going to hit
2: it yeah and it it comes down to the translatable skills right so like if they have mm-hmm. if they have the speed and they have the skill, then I understand a ceiling. But there's other guys like Connor Zary, for example, is another guy um, out west there where he has he looks like he's going to be a pro and he's very polished already. Is a bit of an older prospect. Um, he's a safe choice, I think, a safe bet that he's going to be an NHLer. But he doesn't really have. I don't think he has that high offensive potential at the NHL. So in that case, he would be a little bit lower and then like i said Byfield has such a high ceiling i think it's almost unreachable that i i kind of lower him down a bit so it's yeah again it's i I try and find a happy median i try and balance everything all all factors i try and factor in everything i guess but there's no definitive answer i guess kind of right that no
1: that's fair that's fair for sure
0: yeah so sean just a couple minutes ago you'd touched on how you got to interact with uh, a couple players in the ohl and and specifically some that are on the oilers um i know off air you mentioned us that you got to talk to bouchard a couple times what's he like as a person uh is he good personality like a team character or or what would you say about him in his future
2: (laughs) yeah he's a good guy he's a really good guy he's kind of that uh big eyes and he's just you know he's always kind of smiling and uh yeah, I was fortunate enough. He, uh, the Knights, they do a lot of charity work and stuff and make a lot of public appearances here. And he, uh, he autographed, a an Oilers jersey for me, a blank Oilers jersey, mind you, um, for my son. And, uh, that's now his favorite oiler, even though he's not officially on the team full time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, he's a really good kid. You can tell he's, he's a real smart guy. And, uh, I mean, most hockey players for the most part are usually pretty respectful and, uh, well, we won't talk about Brandon Lipsick, but... Uh, I was just, <laughs> I was, I was just thinking too. that just as I like, said. So I'm like, oh, wait a second. I don't know. Should we go there? Yeah, this big controversy is going on right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. No, but Bush is an awesome guy. And uh, yeah, he's going to be... All his fans are going to love him once he's there. He's he's high character guy, classy, very calm, very poised, and very cool.
0: I mean, it might help that he's like 40 years old, right? So he's definitely wise <laughs> behind his years.
2: So, so. It looks like it for sure. Oh, yeah.
1: This might be a question that that amateur draft guys really loathe. So, so feel free to let me know if that is the case. But where do you see Bouchard's ceiling being at in the NHL? Do you do you see him as being a potential top pairing guy, or more of that second pairing power play quarterback dude?
2: Yeah. So it's interesting. So during the draft, um, his draft year, I was actually higher on Noah Dobson than Bouchard. I was actually we were doing a live draft uh podcast actually and i was kind of pounding the table take dobson take dobson take dobson and sorry was dobson and london knight as well no he played out in the uh, quebec league who am i thinking of
1: oh Bokvist or Bo- Bokvist? Bokvist or yeah, yeah
2: Bokvist actually played with yeah he played with bouchard sorry
1: to interrupt you there i was just i had a twinge there that i had to get answered
2: <laughs> no no worries well Bokvist actually went before bouchard same draft so he, yeah it makes sense um, and then the Knights signed him. He came over after that, and he played with with Bouch. But um, so for me, I was um, and again, this kind of goes we're kind of tied into the ceiling of that. And uh, but as far as defensemen go, I I really appreciated a defenseman that is that is really strong defensively. And I kind of felt like Dobson had not quite as high a ceiling offensively as Bouchard, but he was a much better defender at the time and kind of a bigger guy. So that's why I was kind of pushing for him. But as far as Bush goes, like he's, there's no doubt in my mind, he's going to be a top pair defenseman for the others. And his offensive ceiling is enormous. He's, he's an incredible power play guy. He's an incredible puck mover. He'll get a lot of assists. Um, and, and looking back, I do think he was the right choice for Edmonton. He was a better fit. He was kind of what they needed in the organization. Um, they kind of needed that, uh, you know that right-handed shot, big power play, big booming shot from the point, right? Yeah, um, we've
1: been missing that since Pronger. Like we mentioned before.
2: <laughs> yeah, so obviously he's not as nearly as as physical as Pronger or anything, but he has he has a lot of potential to put up points. He's a real smart guy. Um, he's you know he's making progress defensively. He's never going to be, and and I do worry a little bit. Just like I said before, I'll, Oilers fans kind of eat their own. Um, I do worry. You know he does make the occasional defensive gaffe here and there like he's not perfect right um defensively he still has work to go there but he yeah he moves the puck extremely well he makes a lot of good decisions and he's he's going to put up a lot of points so he, he definitely has a high ceiling and he will be a first pairing defenseman sooner rather than later I think
1: that that's good to hear and I think that's what every Oilers fan wants to hear maybe with you mentioning kind of the defensive gaffes it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Justin Schultz and I I know some fans listening may not I may mean, not like that I just said that but I mean in the sense that I think our decor is in a vastly different situation than when Justin Schultz came in and hopefully with this you know new management system of Holland and everyone below him as well as Tippett that they can kind of groom Bouchard the right way and support him to maybe hide his weakness in that sense to not be such a a defensive sieve that justin schultz admittedly was at times
2: yeah and i think and i think Edmonton's done it the right way like i remember when he was drafted i wrote an article there for the cult of hockey and i said patience is required for evan bouchard and a lot of people wanted him up on the big club and we you know he's good enough to play now and i kept telling people and having watched pretty much every game of his career in junior i kept telling people just just pump the brakes okay patience patience he's got warts defensively just bring him along slowly. And, and, you know, a lot of fans, again, are impatient and irrational. Oh, he's better than half the guys we have on the team. Just bring him up. Let's go, right? Yeah. And uh,
1: <laughs> Chris Russell, he's way better than that. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and, and I'm glad that they've they've kind of stuck to their guns, especially with Holland there, and they've kind of let him just marinate in, in the minors. And you can see the confidence building again. And I, I would just point out, I guess, probably the biggest difference between him and Justin Schultz is just his his poise, with the puck. He doesn't get rattled where Schultz looked looked nervous all, quite often and almost kind of handled the puck when right. he was a great eight sometimes. I think I think Boosh is very common and poised and makes a lot of nice subtle plays. Um I, I think more of the defensive stuff. I think it's just the gaffes and stuff. I think he's just maybe a lack of physicality. He doesn't he lets guys kind of get behind him sometimes and he's not the most physical guy, but that that stuff can come. Uh, when he's when he's playing defense, he 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 makes good reads and he is a smart guy. I think that'll kind of that'll bode well, I guess, for his future and really the big difference between him and Schultz, in my mind.
1: Not to double dip on or on uh, Kyle's joke here, but uh, he is he kind of gets that poise from being that forty year old NHL vet. So <laughs> I think that might be an aspect of it that we're kind of overlooking. Maturity. He's
2: mature. He's mature.
0: Cool Hockey is the premier destination for an authentic hand stitch NHL jersey. I ordered the Oilers home jersey for Bear, and because it's hand-stitched, let me tell you, this hand-stitching is insane quality. My brother had the flash jersey of Bear, and that's the reason I wanted to get it, too, because I thought it looked so good. And the quality over that one is insane insane. I'm so happy I went through Cool Hockey. Visit coolhockey.com slash THPN and use the promo code THPN for 30% off your order of regular, custom, or signature jerseys.
1: We are still here with Sean Patrick Ryan, aka The Oil Knight, and talking about Evan Bouchard there, Sean, I did want to just get your take There's been a little bit of rumbling, not rumblings, but some people hoping that this would happen. What's your opinion on a guy like Bouchard, where you could really argue the last, you know, even in his draft plus one year, he was a little bit too mature and, you know, talented, developed for the OHL. How do you feel about trying to make that transition and maybe making exemptions for certain players, allowing them to play in the AHL in their draft plus one year if they're deemed good enough?
2: yeah, so I just had that conversation probably a week ago, two weeks ago with some pretty uh, intelligent OHL minds. Um, it's It's a much debated topic, I think for me personally, um, i I kind of take the side of the of the player, and uh, I feel like like a lot of these kids if they're playing in junior, for example, they're it's it's a stepping stone to their NHL career. Uh, to their profession right right? and i don't necessarily think that it's right for a certain league to kind of step in and say you know what you're not allowed to go you have to stay here until we say you can go um and and it's a little hypocritical too in my mind you look at um especially now it seems like the last few years it's happening more the the canadian hockey league in general is okay with giving exemptions to certain players that are better than their league so like Shane Wright, for example, 15 years old, they're they're okay to bring a 15-year-old in right. to play against 19- and 20-year-olds, but they're not okay with a, a 19-year-old that's too good for his league or 18- or, or 19-year-old. They're, they're not okay with him leaving and playing in the NHL or in the AHL, I guess in the AHL. Um, so I think it's a bit hypocritical, and I, I think they should make exemptions for certain players. Now, do I think they should just – open it right up and just pretty much let anybody and everybody go. No, because I think teams will screw it up. Organizations will then, they'll start rushing all these kids and then they'll mess up their careers. But at least they're their future employer and they're the ones that are actually paying these kids in the profession. So if they screw it up, right. if they screw up, at least they still have to pay them, right? Right.
1: Yeah, there's some financial reward for messing their, their well, development exactly,
2: right? Where the CHL is just like, well, it's best for our league and that's it, you can't go until you've played four years or, or unless you make the, the NHL. So um, I'm all for the players, and especially if I was a parent and I had my kid, and what's the point of, of, you know, for example, Evan Bouchard you brought up, what's the point of him going back when he could have made that leap to the AHL and maybe, maybe be full-time NHL this year because of it, right? Um, so I so I definitely take the player side on that I think I think the CHL and a lot of people do disagree with me and I know they're avid supporters of the league um, in general but for me I I'm kind of looking at big picture and I think it's what's best for the kids is at least giving them an option some of them you can make a cap or a limit only certain one per year or two per year whatever you can do the two best or three best I don't know how they can they can figure it out but um, I think they should make exceptions
1: And at the end of the day, I'm going to assume it's all because of money, right? Like, they don't want the Evan Bouchard's not being in London in his draft plus one year. They want him, if he's not in the NHL, they want him there because he's the guy that's going to buy or put people in the seats. London might be a weird example because you guys are typically very successful, but especially for, you know, more minor teams that really struggle when they have those superstars. Good, well right
2: or um, dylan strome's a good example because dylan strome lit up his in his draft you're absolutely torched he played for erie he absolutely torched the league and then he got sent back after that well it would have been nice if he could have went to the ahl because he needed to kind of get a little bit stronger and you know work on his skating and things like that and and as as much as the uh it's a great league the ohl and just the chl in general it's not necessarily a developmental league like the AHL that's kind of what it's designed for they have plenty of practices and weight training and all those things right um but uh Dylan Strom when he went back his, his draft plus one year it was almost a waste of time and he lit it up well then he actually had to go back again another year because he didn't make the coyotes they still couldn't send him to the AHL. he had to go back just because of his birthday because of his birthday right and it's a complete wow. waste of time like and it's i i feel like it set his career back and uh you know he developed bad habits and lazy and, and even Raphael lavois is a good example for the oilers i don't think he should have been playing in the QMJHL this year no, he torched yeah yeah he torched so he should already be Training and practicing in the Edmonton Oilers organization, the HL. I think he would have been a great fit for the HL this year. Um, but he got sent back. And now you kind of wonder about the motivation now. Well, what's the point? Oh, I got sent back again. And I mean, I've already torched the league. What, how much more can I do and develop here? Like he should be in a developmental league in the HL. So I, I wish they would open it up at least to a few of them each year.
1: The other aspect is, too, like, when you look at junior players in their draft years and and years before that, they're still in high school. And now likely, like, it's, I mean, going to a a high school in Red Deer that had a lot of Rebels players, not not ripping on those players whatsoever. But for a lot of them that know that they're going to move on to the NHL or the AHL or Europe or wherever, high school is a bit of a joke to them at the the end of the day, like it is for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But you go in your draft plus one year, it's not like those guys are... Like, are are they even allowed to work? I'm I'm not sure. I don't know if you guys know, but they're now not going into school. So if they're not allowed to work, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they have time to work out. But not to say that I don't want to give like the old traditional view of like, oh, like these kids are going to get into trouble, but they're of legal drinking ages. in most of these, most of these provinces, Mm -hmm. they're older than a lot of their, what would be peers, because they're still in high school. And it's just a weird dynamic when you look at it that way, especially If you are ready for that next level and, and you bring up Raphael of wall where I was reading the uh, um, Jonathan Willis and low tide had an interesting article that they dropped out today, more or less just ranking the prospects in the Oilers system. And they were talking, debating Ryan McLeod and they had kind of pointed out that obviously his production isn't really, really elite level for his first year in the AHL, but he produced more than they thought he would. And you look at it, you No, know, I know they are different players from Lavoie to McLeod, but it'll be interesting. Like, I'm more curious, what player developed more in the last year? Even without the production, was it McLeod playing against grown men, maybe not getting quite the levels of production? Or was it Lavoie playing against inferior players, absolutely just lighting it up and pretty much walking through games? I'm, I bet money it's McLeod.
2: Oh, I would say that for sure too. And I watched, like I said, I watched a ton of, bakersfield conjure games too and i think mcleod benefited much more than lavois did this year i i don't think lavois made any strides in his game at all to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. a lot of the issues i had with him in his draft year i pretty much saw again on tape um and and i guess it just it's just something that you kind of have to deal with for right now and you know they're talking about potentially getting courts involved and, and you know somebody taking it legal and on behalf of some of the kids and the players. Because again, you, I understand the people that are advocates of keeping them in junior and they said they don't want to ruin their careers and they don't want organizations to ruin their careers. But again, who's to say you're not ruining their career or stunting their growth by holding them back too?
1: Yeah, especially if they're, if that's OHL or Q teams or WHL teams saying that, like that's a pretty biased view saying, oh, we don't want to wreck their development. Like, like you said, they could easily be doing that themselves and they're in it for their own interests at the end of the day.
2: Well, even in kids that are in, you know, the NCAA or, you know, or I right. guess the or U.S. developmental, a lot of them go to U.S. developmental league. But if you're going to, like Brady Kachuk, what was he going, Boston College or something?
0: He right. was there
2: for a year and you decided he knew what that said. I'm going to leave school and there's no problems. He can go play in the NHL. He could have played in the OHL. and He could have played in the AHL. There's no restriction, so it's really just the Canadian Hockey League that is that is blocking these kids from going to do whatever they want to do. They have to stay there until they're told they can leave, right? And it's just, I don't know, it just it just seems uh, it just seems kind of hypocritical to me. Which is kind of funny
0: too, because if you think there would be any league doing that, it would be the NCAA. Yeah, yeah. Just, that's
1: a good point. <laughs> they, they're the ones that have the track record, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least the one thing that makes me feel better about the CHL compared to the NCAA is they don't have teams that are making like hundreds of millions of dollars off these kids. Yeah, Like there's a lot less money in junior hockey than there is in the NCAA football and basketball.
2: Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I love the CHL and I want all the best players in the OHL. I'm always saying, you know, get all these imports over here and let's just stack the league. But if I look from the kids' perspective, if they're too good for the league, and it's it's going to stunt their development for their future career, their profession. Um, then why are you holding them back? And you're not a, you're not paying them. They're not allowed to get jobs. They just have to kind of sit there and suck it up for another year. And it just it it just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm surprised there's not a bigger fight. And maybe there has been behind the scenes. I'm surprised there hasn't been a bigger fight though for.
1: I wonder if there'll be more of a movement for those like really high echelon players that might not be like, not necessarily the McDavid's that they know they're going to be in the NHL at 18, but that next tier of players, I wonder if there'll be a more movement to go like play overseas and stuff like that. I mean, didn't Austin Matthews do that? Sorry. I know he was an American, but still.
2: Yeah, he went overseas. Well, I know there is, I don't quote me on this, but I think there's some type of collective bargaining agreement or something that's up after this season, or maybe it's next season where they're going to review everything, CHL agreements and that. And and that is one of the topics they are going to discuss lowering the age when you can, because right now you have to be, you have to play four years in the CHL uh, imports aside. If you're just drafted, you have to pay, play four years, or uh, if you're 20 years old, then you can leave 20 By December 31st, if you turn 20 by December 31st of that year, you can, you can leave.
1: I had a random idea that just popped into my head. So I'm going to share that, but don't judge me if it could turn out to be absolutely foolish here, boys. So the, the one organization that is going to have the players development unbiasedly in their best interest is going to be the NHL organizations that draft them. So what if you set something up for obvious, and the other thing is the NHL teams, they always have an option if the player's good enough, putting them in the NHL. So they have that option, but say they deem them not good enough for the NHL, or they're better for their development to not be in the NHL, but they are too good for the CHL. What if they had some type of like rights buyout system where the say the Edmonton Oilers with Evan Bouchard, they could say, Hey, London. We are not going to send Evan Bouchard down, but we want you to release his rights because we don't want him in the NHL either. We will give you $200,000 influx into your team to let him play in Bakersfield.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. I don't know if they want to open that door because then that's a huge advantage for that, t- that one Canadian hockey league team. And if it's a team like London, for example, and every year they're getting $200,000 because they are yeah. pumping out these guys. It's already tilted be just because they basically run their franchise like an like an NHL team. They have an NHL coach and an NHL owner and all that. Right. Uh, I, I, I guess that, like that
1: is that that is a legitimate negative to that for sure.
0: I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you'd have to pay like the league in as a whole, right? So it's a share like profit sharing um, type situation. Y- yeah. Yeah, that yeah. would
2: work. That would make more sense.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah. it's interesting to think about because I mean, it though. is.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I said it's a good idea though. I, th- I think you're on the right track with that.
1: Well, I'm glad it didn't come out as a stupid idea, because, yeah, like I said, I literally <laughs> just randomly popped in a head and I'm like, this is gonna this is either gonna boom or bust here, so
2: <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah, right? exactly. yeah. Michael Scott, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael
1: Scott there. You... <laughs> yeah. Geez, the irony of an Edmonton Oilers podcast is dropping the <laughs> Michael Scott
2: line there, Wow. <laughs> hey, did um, you know, I was I, I never watched the office really at all, all ever i watched it maybe once or twice here and there and now with the whole shutdown thing i banged out every single episode of all the seasons now
1: <laughs> like, i'm gonna assume you really like it if you banged it out that quickly
2: yeah yeah i'm a huge <laughs> office guy now I yeah it's the appeal
1: it, it's honestly i was such a degenerate for a while on it like i i finished it a couple years after it ended and then as soon as it got on netflix it was always my like I, i'm i'm pretty used to going to bed with just like a quiet tv going so Mm. since it was such a you know as a show i was familiar with so i wouldn't be too distracted while i was trying to sleep i would always set my timer for like 40 minutes and let it run on netflix and i've honestly like doing it that way so i'd watch you know for 10-15 minutes then i get tired and i go to sleep and let it run i probably have went through that show (sighs) like 30 or 40 times, like start to finish on Netflix. Like it it was, I'm not doing it anymore, but it was, it was years of that. So (laughs) it was a bit of degeneracy, but I'm glad you finally got into it because there's a lot of people like you'll just randomly see that. Like that's a, that's a big, that's a big show that had almost an impact on current culture. So it's, it's odd when you hear people that just never got onto it, but glad Uh, that it's still reaching people
0: i'm sorry boys can we take a side tangent just for a second here because we started talking about watching netflix and stuff have you guys watched the last dance
2: dude that's like the greatest show in the history of the world if you follow me on twitter i'm 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 one
1: episode behind it's terrific
0: it is phenomenal like i'm not a huge basketball fan by any means i think i've watched maybe five games maybe ever and it is incredible, that documentary, like watching the talent on that team and, and what they're going through, like not to spoil any of it. I'm sure everybody knows or the majority of people know about it. But uh, but yeah, like what a doc. I, I, I'm wishing that there was that for the Oilers years leading into Gretzky leaving, right? Like uh, it's uh, it's really cool. Yeah.
1: It would be so incredible if they did something like that, especially for the when you look at the younger generations. I mean, there's a lot of people in Edmonton, Oilers fans, that obviously know about the dynasty years. But I know one thing like my dad was showing, showing me and telling me to watch. And I, I caught a couple of games. And it was interesting. Like Sportsnet is replaying a lot of the Stanley cup games. So watching the, like, I think it was the 87 series against Philly. Don't quote me on that. Sorry. It was just off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. watching random games for that. And it's cool watching that in like full, um, like full start to finish. Like you were normally watching that on TV at the time. So I found that really interesting. I'd love it if they did a doc like that.
0: You obviously have to have the film from that time, right? Like I can't believe some of the the camera work they have from back in the, you know, mid 90s. Like it's it's not some of the um like the shots there. It it looks like camera work from today. It's it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful documentary. Yeah.
2: And, and the cra- the craziest thing that I heard with that's with that is uh I don't know if you if you heard this Calvin when they d- they brought out the Air Jordans and uh they signed Jordan for the uh I- it was four-year contract for his own clothing line for the shoes, and they said they two hundred fifty grand. Yeah, they gave him two hundred fifty grand, and they said, "Okay, well, we hope after the four years that we sell three million dollars." Yeah. yeah, and they that, sold that like one hundred
0: ninety-six million or something like that in, in the, the first, first year. Uh, one
2: hundred twenty-six million in the first year. Yeah, yeah. that's like that's incredible. Right? <laughs> that's that's funny. It's crazy that
1: that just like springboarded sports endorsements so far where they were like, obviously that's an extreme example, but the, that opened the door for so many athletes to make so much more money in the decades to follow.
0: Man, whoever signed that deal probably got shit talk by his peers because like everybody was going for around a hundred grand for those type of contracts. And oh, they did. Yeah. They were, rookie, right? about, yeah. yeah they, they, they were talking about, yeah. Yeah. They were
1: talking about how his, their peers like thought he was crazy.
0: And then, I mean, that guy must've just been shot up in the company like so fast like oh he think he of the made, bonuses he got probably made the greatest decision of <laughs> nike's like history right there yeah.
2: i'm gonna tag you guys in. A, i'm gonna tag you guys in a picture that i put up with jordan's not too long ago just so you have it you yeah can see please next, do i still have jordans i've still got the michael jordan slamming over magic johnson in in one of my rooms here i'm st- like how many years ago was that Pff, what is it 90s 25 years ago i guess
1: yeah. yeah, that would have been like mid, like mid to that's like, like a little genre bit being born '90s. Was this? Yeah, was happening. Yeah, not to age you, not <laughs> to yeah, age yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> well, the, and
2: the brand though, like it, it's still a, a very popular brand amongst many generations, oh. right? Well, a a of of sure, man. Like, still there. Yeah.
1: oh yeah, it's crazy. Like that. That that whole sneaker collecting. I mean, it's not something I've gotten into. I'm more of a Jersey guy just based off the sheer price of those shoes. But if I was ever a millionaire, like there's some, there's some cool collector's items in that. Um, I, I did want to say too, like I, as far as that doc, if anyone's listening here and they're kind of just like, Oh shit, you know, I don't, I don't care about basketball. (laughs) I personally, like I, I grew up playing basketball as well as football and, so I, I used to be very big into basketball. Uh through high school, Nash was making those runs with the Phoenix Suns. So I was a huge Suns fan, huge Steve Nash fan, and I still am. But since then, I've really fallen out of basketball. Just I, I still enjoy it. I still play fantasy basketball, but really I've just I'm not I'm not really a basketball fan anymore. As sad as it is to say, I'm dove way more into hockey. But that documentary is seriously, it's just one of those things that's so well made. You don't have to be a basketball fan to really appreciate it and, and really enjoy, especially if you've got some extra time on your hands. So I, I think all three of us, we really can't say enough good things about it. Like, it's just been a great watch.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I guess, got uh, really
1: excited on Monday. Like, I forgot it was Monday. <laughs> I was like, oh, hell yeah. Two more episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm
0: counting down the days right now till the next week. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess moving back into prospects and Oilers and stuff, though... Um, who we haven't talked about, right? Like we've, we've obviously touched on Bouchard. Are there any other prospects in the other systems that you're higher on that others maybe aren't?
2: Yeah, I'm a big Kirill Maximoff guy. Um, I've been following him since he's, well, even before Edmonton drafted him. I think he's he's got a real shot to be a high impact player in the NHL. He's got that, uh, he's just got a bomb of a one-timer and he, he kind of, he hustles hard. He plays all three zones he's he's actually a pretty chippy player too uh, almost to a fault but he's uh, there's a lot of potential there for him I I didn't like how he was utilized at all in Bakersfield his first year and even Ryan McLeod for I guess to a certain extent he was kind of bounced around from center and wing and up and down the lineup I just there wasn't a lot of consistency there but um, I think Maximoff's probably going to need at least another year or two but he has the ability to put the puck in the net um, he has the nhl elite shot in that and he's improved his skating a lot over the the last couple of years so i think give him another year or two of proper development i think he has a real chance to be a good player for the others
1: i was just gonna ask about the skating and that's one big thing that i know was kind of a big rip on maximov so that is good to hear that he's he's really applied himself and worked on that because it's a difficult skill i can imagine to improve like I've I've never been a you know we were talking earlier not not a big hockey player so I'm I'm a terrible terrible skater to begin with but you even look at I mean sprinting like that that's a hard skill to just really really improve from being slow to getting fast so it's it's awesome to see that development
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: not to uh not to get too back onto the negative side because I, I think it's really awesome to hear the the guys you're more high on. But I do kind of want to bring us back. We were talking about the Pujarvi situation a little bit now um, or as far as when he was drafted and things like that earlier on. So today, I don't know if you saw, but Bob Stoffer had um, tweeted out, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but more or less alluding to, there's a possibility that Edmonton is still looking into trading Pujarvi from Lias Anderson. A lot of people remember Lias as the a player that threw his silver medal into the crowd as a world junior. I don't know if it's really fair to hold that against him or not, but I'm just curious with that. I don't think that that potential package really excites Oilers fans. So I'm curious, what do you want Holland to do with the Puyarvi situation as well as, do you think he can still turn into a quality NHL or, or do you, are you stamping the bus tag on him?
2: Uh, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced he's going to be a legit NHL player. Um, I I, I kind of questioned the will. Um, you know, the the others yeah. really had it, it's a it's a new coach. It was a new coach. It was a new general manager. It was um, a new season. They had a fresh a fresh feel to them. They're having a lot of success, and he still had the opportunity to just you know water under the bridge and just come back uh, at one point in the season. You know what? I, I, I apologize. I, I kind of had made a stand. Whatever. I still want to be a part of this team. In it he decided he's still going to stay away and i think that kind of showed a lot to me that he's not he's not in it a hundred percent like he's more i mean i understand you have to kind of protect your own interests in that but it's, it's it was a whole new situation it was such a great opportunity for him and the owners needed somebody there but and this is before yamamoto got called up like he would have been a good fit to come in there Everything was aligned. The stars were aligned for him to come in and be successful, but for some reason, he still didn't want to. And I don't know if he has beef with the players themselves or players on the team. Actually, some of the leaders have issues with him. Um, but I just um, that was really disappointing. And I think I, I think a hundred percent the Oilers should should trade him. No doubt about it. I wouldn't trade him for leah Anderson, of course. But um, I think it's as a fan, I don't I don't want to see him in orders uniform again i think he turned his back on the team and i think it's he was whether it was driven by the agent or whatever i think it was selfish selfish decision and yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts on that
1: even if it is driven by the agent i mean at the end of the day you're the client like if if you're adamant that you don't think that's what you want to do you can put your foot down on the agent right so i know i've heard that cop out a lot and i I understand that the agent's job there is to provide advice and guide a player. So maybe Puyarvi is just listening to that, um, that advice, if that is the case. I mean, who knows? But I did really feel like the the one thing that that really grinded my gears and, and pissed me off with that situation was not only are you like turning your back on the team, but you're also making it that much more difficult for them to trade you where you're saying things like, oh, I only want top six minutes in the NHL or we're going to play over here. And it's like, man, there's probably a lot of teams that are willing to pay something for you, but they're not just going to hand you top six minutes. They're not going to do that. And the other thing is, if you want top six minutes, like you, you had said, Sean, Edmonton was about the best situation there for him to get that. It was, it was wide open before Yamamoto had come in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and, and he decided he didn't want to be a part of that, right? So, again, it's he, he kind of showed his true colors. and, and I, I mean, he has loads of talent for sure, and I, I realize he had a bad goal of things, and you can blame Todd McClellan or Shirelli or whoever you want that they're kind of bouncing him up and down and or weren't playing him enough. Or he got demoted to the third or fourth line, but those guys are gone, right? It's It's a completely different coach, completely different GM. So what's the excuse now? Well, it's the organization. Well, the organization, whatever. Like it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a frustrating situation. Um, but it's something the Oilers are just going to have to deal with and move on. I, I don't like the fact they keep dragging it out. Get it done by the draft, move on, get something for them that's got some value, and just get rid of that headache, you know, and just look to the future.
0: I feel like there's a, a real grudge with the teammates. Like, it, it'd have to be that, at least, like, what I'd think it would be, right? When McDavid was calling out players that didn't want to be there yeah. to get out, like, you, you had to think he was talking about Pooley-Arvey in that situation, right? And I'm sure that there was things that were said in the locker room where, he, I mean, he probably feels hated on and and wasn't given a big enough chance. I mean, he probably has a reason for thinking his own opinion, right? But, but uh, you got to think it's the wrong one. I'm, I'm, but, but, I'm, yeah. right,
1: I'm wondering so. if, you know, not to give him a pass here because I think we're all frustrated as Oilers fans of what's going on in that situation, and we thought we were getting you know that bona fide top six winger with a ton of talent that could be you know a, just a really really good big lanky power forward, and but I, but I do really hope that as he gets older and if this does drag on that one, he develops a little bit of maturity and and maybe does realize that it needs to be water under the bridge, as well as, I mean, I, I think, he, you know, you mentioned with Shirely and McClellan, and yeah, those guys are gone, but I I could understand, I'm not saying it's right, but I understand why is a little bit bitter towards the Oilers. So maybe even having, you know, if he shows a little bit of maturity on his end, I mean, maybe this is me just being wishful thinking and and being the you know, almost a toxic optimist, or not toxic, but unrealistic <laughs> optimist. Yeah. But I do still have a sliver of hope that that he actually does turn into a decent oiler one day. But I mean, I have got to admit that that's probably pretty unlikely.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Same, same thing with Yakupov. People kind of hung on to Yakupov for for a while thinking he's still going to turn around and we traded him well. Uh, he's going to be a steal for somebody else. He's going to prove us wrong. Just another oiler we traded away. And that goes off and has a successful career somewhere else but that never happened and
1: i, I yeah it turned into a third round pick i'm sure st louis regrets giving him. <laughs> yeah
2: exactly right like
1: at the end of the day as much as i lie i think yak seems like a really nice guy and wish him all the best overseas it's still like yeah <laughs> that's just the case uh, i'm more of a
2: if you've got a if you've got a uh, just just rip off the band like just get it done right don't drag it out right. don't, don't procrastinate if and i and i understand i guess it comes down to value too and you don't want to buy or you don't want to sell low or whatever but um yeah i i'm i'm really hoping they're able to move him here shortly at least maybe get a second round pick back because we're missing a second round pick after getting after the seal I'd, I'd love to see him recoup something for him for this draft i i hope
0: that he's moved for this draft as well i'd like to either be moved up on our pick or or add a second as well um, I guess just moving on to and touching back with the rest of our prospects that we have, we've seen a recent emergence, obviously, of Yamamoto, Jones, and Bear uh, to the NHL. And then we have a couple of close players on the horizon with Benson and Bouchard. Uh, what do you think we should do with our pipeline right now? Should we be aggressively stocking the cupboard still? Or do you think it's time to move some of our
2: prospects for a couple of players that could help us win right now? Uh, definitely keep restocking. I think it's there's... Um... We still need a lot of forwards, and with a lot of these defensemen kind of making the team now, you're going to have to you're going to have to restock the shelves there. I mean, if you look at just as of just this past season, um, and Canadian Hockey League is is widely viewed as, I think, collectively as a whole, the greatest junior league in the world, right? And uh, the Oilers mm-hmm. didn't have a single prospect in the WHL this year, not a single prospect in the OHL this year. And just two in the Quebec League, so two prospects in the entire CHL is not really a good sign. And Lavoie's moving on now, so he'll be in Bakersfield next year. So now they only have one in Olivier Rodriguez, goaltender. So they definitely need some more prospects, both defense and forward, I think, from the CHL, which would be great. And uh, and ju- yeah, and just keep pumping out. I out. I, I mean, they're they're getting somewhat close to a win now mode. Um, I know they've still got several years left with with um, McDavid and Drysaddle, but Nuge isn't getting any any younger. They're going to have to make a decision on him. And Nurse is a short contract, so you're going to want to kind of make a run and make a decision on him in a couple years too. So I, I certainly wouldn't mortgage the future. You know, Maybe one guy like Asamu Rukov or, or Lavoie, that's it, if you decide you want to add a, a significant piece. But for the most part, just – try and get some more draft picks back now because we've already given some away and just keep developing. That's that's the way to go to build long-term success, in my opinion.
1: And I, I think I couldn't agree more in that aspect where you look at teams that have been successful for long-term, and I'm not talking, you know, no disrespect towards Chicago and they drafted well, but they also had some aging guys that they had to pay. And you saw that that, what could have been a, you know, a dynasty kind of didn't turn out that way due to not, you know, not enough impact players continuing to come up. And I, I think it's, you know, one of those things that if you you really have to expect with McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, we have two, if not the two best players in the world, two of the top, you know, three, four, five players in the world without a doubt. So you've really got to hope that 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 championship window is open for a longer term than most teams get. And the way you do that is to have that kind of constant flow of those prospects coming into your system and taking advantage of players on ELCs, you know, making that impact, in my opinion, as well as, I mean, when we were talking about Bouchard, him playing another year, assuming he doesn't, if the season does come back, assuming he doesn't play very many playoff games. His contract slides another year. So we're looking at, you know, what is that, twenty year old Evan Bouchard just starting his ELC now? Like that that's a huge aspect. So if we want that cup window to one open and stay open, that that's the way we do draft and
2: develop. Just keep drafting and developing. Exactly. Yep. Yep.
1: And I think that was one of the things where as much as it sucked to move the two second round picks for Athens, U, who I was a huge fan of coming in. So I was giddy, like a little schoolgirl yeah. when that trade went as through. As was I. Um, Kyle, Kyle can attest to that one, <laughs> but I thought it was so key that it was, you know, n- not to say just second round picks, cause that does have value, but that we didn't use a, a McLeod. We didn't move a Samarukov, We didn't, you know, as we had more players graduating to the NHL, we didn't lose additional depth in that sense.
2: Yeah, I agree, and and I think part of that too was just kind of thinking ahead or planning ahead. Probably thinking, all right, well, if we move the picks now, the two second rounders, then we still have an opportunity to recover them or recoup them with by moving Pulley right? Um I, I think that's kind of the plan. I hope that's the plan, anyways. And I agree. agree. I was a huge I was a huge Athens, guy too. I'm, I'm glad the Oilers, uh they acquired him because he's uh, he's going to be a good fit for the team here moving forward, I think.
1: I think he just needs to kind of settle in and fi- find where his role yeah, is.
0: John, I think you were talking about him, like literally since our first episode we ever recorded. Like you were high on him forever. You were absolutely giddy when he got traded here.
1: I, I don't know what it is too, because I don't actually watch like that much of outside the Edmonton market for the NHL. Like I'll watch pretty much every single NA or Oilers game assuming there's not like a huge co- scheduling conflict. Um, but I don't watch a, you know, I'm not watching hockey like every single night. I obviously follow the league, but yeah, something about see You like about a little over a year ago, kind of towards the end of last season really just stuck out to me. I saw his like how fast he was his skill and just not really being able to put it together. And I was like, I think that's a winger that could work really, really well with McDavid.
2: I remember him as a 16 year old. Uh, he played for London for two years. That's his junior oh really, too. I didn't actually know that, yeah, yeah, he was a sixteen year old and boy could he fly? I remember my dad's season tickets, and we obviously go to pretty much every every night's game, and yeah, we were just blown away by his speed, like he was just he was awesome he uh, he was a bit of a perimeter player and uh and uh kind of took a little unnecessary penalties there a few times, but um for the most part, yeah he was he was you could tell he could fly, you could tell he the n h l speed right then and there. Um, he just needed his hands to kind of catch up to to the speed and then eventually the knights traded him and then he just absolutely exploded in buried yeah <laughs> right so figures but uh it's always tough as a fan <laughs> yeah so i've kind of been a fan of his since he was 16 watching it. and that's the beauty again kind of again I keep tying this back into kind of why i do all this because i I watched the ohl religiously i love watching for example after I see you at 16 and now He's what now? Twenty-five. Nine years later, and now he's on my favorite NHL team, the Oilers. And I yeah, kind of say you have well. a
1: lot bigger, more like much more sentimental attachment to him, and really hoping he succeeds in in your favorite team's uniform.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm watching Bouchard when he was 16, and now seeing him develop and do all that. It's 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 exciting. It's it's fun to fun to watch. And Canadian hockey, or CHL in general, is just exciting. All three leagues are exciting to watch, and it's yeah. That's why I kind of do it. That's awesome. Do you uh, as as we kind of
1: close and and wrap this episode up here, Sean, I do kind of want to. I don't mean to directly put you on the spot, but maybe get you out of your comfort zone, uh, away from the the amateur drafting. But we were mentioning just with um with the prospects that are graduating to the NHL, and we have you know the Yamamoto Jones Bear that did this year, as well as Benson and Bouchard that are got to be expecting that to happen this upcoming season. So you see a lot of teams that kind of, you know, St. Louis, for example, they I'm, I'm completely blanking on the guy's name, but they had a big, um, that impact, sorry, forward, Ro, Ro, was it Robert Thomas? Robert Thomas, yeah.
2: yeah. Thank
1: you. Big guy that grew, like graduated, and I'm not saying he alone pushed them over the top. Obviously, that team is kind of an atypical example. But you see teams, when they make runs, they have impact players on ELCs like we've alluded to. So with that kind of that that baseline starting with us, how close do you think that meant to know there's aren't being a legitimate, legitimate cup contender?
2: <laughs> well, I have to ask you, first of all, fun fact. Uh, do you know where Robert Thomas played his junior hockey?
1: Is it the London Knights? <laughs> he played for the
2: London Knights, yeah. And, and, and it's funny, the first article I wrote on theallnight.ca, my very first article, I wrote why Robert Thomas is my favorite prospect in this year's draft.
1: Oh, I, no way.
2: <laughs> I was a huge Robert Thomas Throwback. Guy. I told everybody he was a top 10 pick. I'm telling you, this kid, watch out for him. He's smart. He's fast. He checks all those boxes. All those things I talk about, the NHL translatable skills, Robert Thomas has them all. And and there's a few guys every year that just kind of check all those boxes for me. And I kind of use that every year. I just kind of compare and kind of go back to some of these favorite players that I have. And Robert Thomas is one of the guys. So it's kind of funny you brought him up. Um but yeah, as far as how close are the Oilers to a cup contender, I think they're real close. Um, I, I think they've they've got a lot of the key ingredients that winning teams need. Um, I love the fact they've they've locked up Archibald, for example. I think that's one of those guys that's he's you know, he's he really shows his worth in the playoffs. You need those type of players. Um uh, Jones and Bear, I think, are are you know just developing great. And I think they're gonna be future future studs on this team moving forward you've got like you said the young bouchard coming as well that's going to add a lot of depth to that especially the right side like if you just project the pairings just on defense i mean they're pretty stacked here for the next few years it looks like Mm -hmm. um
1: as long as guys continue to pan out our decor is looking better in the future than it
2: has in a very very long time (laughs) right and it's definitely a positive sign yamamoto took massive steps forward it looks like he's going to be um a high impact forward moving moving mm-hmm. forward, I guess, in the in the future. The only thing with him is just gotta stay healthy. Um but yeah, I think for the Oilers, I think they're they're kind of set up here. They've got the two they've got the best combo in the NHL in McDavid and I don't think there's any question they're the best pair um, of forwards. It's just gonna it be a matter of that draft and development, like you said, and getting those guys in the ELCs, just like Pittsburgh did when they had guys like Jake Gunsel and Connor Sheary and yeah. Brian Dumoulin, all these guys that were cheap, uh, but they kind of drafted and developed broaden broadened the system the right way. And those guys ended up, Brian Russ is another one. Those are the guys that were just the key contributors in those playoff runs. And I think the Oilers are starting to sprinkle those guys in and they're starting to come. Uh, the key will just be to continue that, keep that up get some more guys in there at all levels really um, but they they've got they they've kind of done the the tough parts already done they've got the franchise players right they've got the mm-hmm. they've got the core it's just a matter of finding the right pieces to complement them
1: and like like the Josh sorry excuse me Josh Archibald like you mentioned I I completely agree with that contract absolutely loved it yeah yeah for sure it's just, so. just filling out that roster with those energy guys and the guys that can fit in and play up and down your lineup in closing thank you very much sean um we will drop in this uh, episode for anybody listening we'll drop in the in the description down below on whatever app you are listening to us on all of sean's contact information is for, not contact information but his social media we're not going to drop his cell phone number on there <laughs> for you but uh we will drop his social media as well as his his uh his website which is the that's correct yes that's correct and uh, is there anything else you, you have going on that you want to uh, let everybody know about? Or is that kind of the gist of it the podcasting, the the blogging, and the, the social media?
2: Yeah, a bunch of random podcasts. I got a couple more articles coming out, one for the call to hockey. It'll come out here shortly. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach me anytime on Twitter. Send me a DM if you want. I got all kinds of people to reach out, just want to talk hockey because they're bored. So my DMs are always open. Let me know. No dick pics, though. Nice and approachable. Just how we like it.
0: <laughs> I just want to say one last thing before you close out here, too. I hope you know that there's a perfect ending that we haven't been able to use for a while.
1: Um, I'm trying to remember how that even went. We did we did this thing at the start, and we kind of stopped doing it because we thought we were being assholes to certain people. But we always ended our episodes with, I know it's been hard at times, Oilers fans. Oh, what was it, Kyle? Uh,
0: I know it's tough at times, yeah. I know it's been
1: hard at times where there's fans, but keep your head up. It could be worse. We could be...
0: Brandon Lepsick fans.
1: Okay, there we go. <laughs> I feel like that one it's like Brandon Lebsick, I guess. The dude literally flushed his career down the toilet, but
0: <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's a fan of him right now at all, so yeah. No, I yeah.
1: was gonna say I I've even I saw like a Brennan Lepsick like stan account that is like completely flipped and like rightfully so. Like I honestly feel so bad for that girl. She was posting pictures of like all her Brennan Lepsick signs she's taken to games, and I'm like, ooh, that's a that's a tough one to swallow for sure.
2: <laughs> what a role model.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Hey, I mean, obviously <laughs> she didn't know the any of that yeah. at this point but kind of it's a it's a tough one to hit your wagon to that's for sure and then find out find out who's dragging it but uh, but yeah anyways last but not least thank you again sean for for jumping on and that wraps up another episode of the oil country podcast thank you very much for listening everybody